It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! That's <laughs> a very wimpy woohoo, woohoo. Wow, lots of level on that microphone today. Hi, everybody. How are you guys? I'm excited to do this show today. I have 22 pages of notes for this show today. Um, oh, let me get the chat room open so I can see you guys. There you are. Hello, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Hope you all had a great weekend. Let's see if we are streaming. Yes, we are live. Okay. Um, today, we are going to talk about why hasn't the company contacted me after they got my music. So let's jump right into it because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, we're going to talk about if you've ever been frustrated by waiting and waiting to hear from a music company that your music was forwarded to by taxi, you really don't want to miss this episode. If you've ever signed a deal with a production music library or any publisher, any company at all in the music industry, and then heard nothing but crickets, oh man, I wish I had crickets uh, on my thing, on my sound effects, you definitely don't want to miss this episode. And if you've ever been ticked off, when you see a taxi listing, it says, please don't submit your music unless you're an experienced composer who knows the drill. You really, really don't want to miss this episode. And don't forget, I am giving away some books today. Uh, giving away lots of books. And how we're going to do it is at some point, we're going to have you guys type in plus ones. Not now. Don't start now. Um, oh, that's right. It's cold down there in Australia right now. Well, it's like 90-something here in L.A. Um, anyway, we're going to give away copies of Demystifying the Cue by Dean Crepane. It's a must-have book. Gotta have this book if you want to do instrumental music for film or TV. I'm going to give away Writing Production Music for TV by Steve Barden, another must-have book if you want to be in the instrumental um, side of the film and TV music industry. Giving away a copy of Hey, That's My Song by Tracy and Vance Marino. Uh, this book just came out relatively recently and it's been getting great reviews. I've read it cover to cover. I think it's a great book, also a must have. And the only book, <laughs> it's got a green cover. <laughs> yeah, it's a see-through book. There's nothing inside. Um, and this one I actually do publish, so I want to be upfront about that. I make a couple of bucks if you buy one. But we're giving one away today. Shortcuts for Songwriting for Film and TV by Robin Frederick. It's the only book out there about doing songs, how to write songs for film and TV, which is different than writing songs for radio and records. But I'm sorry, yours will not be showing up with the see-through cover. That's what we get for doing a, uh, a lime green cover on the book. Anyway. Pearson says, that's my fave right there. Um, <laughs> Peter Rahill. Looks like easy reading. Yes. <laughs> I think this is hysterical. I could just hold this up all day and, and just make a show out of this, couldn't I? Anyway, uh, I was also dumb enough to eat one of these Mucinex. Just know that these numb your throat and your mouth and your lips. So if I talk like this today, it's because I ate one of those few minutes. I always like to do a cough drop before I start to kind of clear out the sinuses and stuff. Yes, John, invisible ink it is. Um, oh yeah, that mixing console is absolutely a green screen. 
um, is much. No, that's my home studio. That's in our family room at the Lasco residence. Yes, we always put six hundred thousand dollar consoles in our family room. <laughs> anyway, uh, I wish that was in our family room. That's like the size and the. I'm used to work more in SSLs, but occasionally in Eve, and I love love large format consoles. Although I've got to say. I've got Logic on my laptop, and so far I just messed around extensively with it, um, and am blown away by all the cool stuff that it's got. Anyway, so yep, we will. We're gonna do one drawing and pick four people later in the show, and uh, those four people will get copies of the books. Unfortunately, if you're outside of the United States, we can't send you the book. It's often, like sometimes, as much as twice as much money to mail you the book as it is to just get the damn book. So there's that. Um, all right, I am ready. Please save your questions for the end. And if you guys could keep the chatter about what you're having for dinner, that sort of thing down to a minimum tonight, I really need to focus. Like I said, 22 pages of notes, a lot of ground to cover. Here we go. First topic. If you've ever been frustrated by waiting and waiting to hear from a music company that your music was forwarded to by taxi, all is not lost, and here are some reasons why that happens. Pay attention, guys. Stephen Memel, wow. Hey, Memel, how are you, buddy? Um, uh, let's see, okay, the reasons why your music has been forwarded and you may not have heard from the company yet. Number one. The company is building an album of 10 or 12 songs or tracks, and even though yours has made it to the short list, the final decision might be days or even weeks or even months away. So they've put the word out, they've contacted Taxi. We're looking for urban dramedy cues, let's say. Um, and we run the listing and we get 178 submissions and we forward 27 of them. And of those 27, they take nine or 10 that have come from Taxi and two or three that they already had. And they're putting them together on a compilation of other, you know, of, of only urban dramedy tracks. And they're going to put those out, but they're not ready to put it out yet. Just because they, ha they have the tracks doesn't mean that their production schedule or their release schedule um, is synced up with that timing. So that stuff may sit in a folder until they are good and ready, or um, they may wait and release it uh, in the summertime, knowing that shows are ramping up for the fall season and they want to come out with that CD, make a little splash. So it's about timing. Your music may have already been selected and you just don't know it. Um, and the reason they may not let you know is that at the last minute they may decide to add something else or take something off. So anyway, that's one of the reasons why you get forward it and you don't hear back. The second reason is the company is building an album of 10 or 12 songs or tracks. And while yours has made it to the final playlist, they might not have, oh, I've already covered this. They might not have it uh, scheduled until some point in the future. And they just haven't started reaching out to the people who are going to be on it. So there you go. I covered two in that first one. I'm very time efficient today. Uh, number three. The company is in collecting mode. That's a term that I use. I don't know that they necessarily use it. Um, so in other words, yeah, we'd like to beef up uh, our orchestral stuff. 
it's sounding a little long in the tooth. Some of the samples that people used five years ago don't sound as good as the samples that get used now. Production skills have gotten better overall across the board. So we're refreshing our library, you know? They have to do that. You refresh your wardrobe every now and then. You buy a new car when the old one's getting a little long in the tooth. So um, they're in the collecting, you know, hey, taxi, run a listing for this. Can you see if you can find us some better stuff than we've got in that genre? And how about that genre and that one over there? And this is a process that could go on for two or three months. And then all of a sudden, they get into what I would call pitching season, where they're really, really busy pitching music. And when they're busy pitching music, they don't have time to sit around maybe not sitting around they don't have time to sit there and listen to dozens or hundreds or maybe even thousands of tracks and winnow it down to the ones that they absolutely want to sign and then start doing the due diligence on each of those tracks who are the writers are they ASCAP BMI CSAC are they outside of the US do they have co-writers on this thing is there anything that would indicate this is going to be a problem to to clear or to license so they do that for every single thing that they sign. It's time consuming. Um, and then they have to register everything with the PROs. If they're non-exclusive and they want to retitle, they have to sit down and think of titles. They have to register the retitled version of it. It's a long process, takes a lot of time, and they only make money when they pitch. You only make money when they pitch. So. Um, you don't want to disturb them when they're in pitching mode, but I know it's very frustrating when your music has been forwarded to a company. It's been a week. It's been two weeks. It's been a month. It's been two months. It's been six months. You haven't heard anything. You're depressed. You're sitting by the phone, looking at it, staring at it like a dog, you know, looking at the refrigerator, waiting for somebody to open it. I understand. I really do. We all do that work here. But this is, I'm telling you, these are the reasons it happens. So now that you are hearing these, try and internalize them. Maybe you need to listen to this episode once a month. It will help you calm down and just know to go with the flow. Um, the number four reason is the company had a specific need. So they reached out to Taxi. Let's say they're working on a TV show and they need instrumental music, um, Greek music. They're doing a travelogue and they, they want Greek music, but they don't want like Zorba the Greek music. They want hipper, younger, more contemporary Greek music. So they reach out to Taxi. They listen to our playlist once we've run the listing and sent them the music. And then they quickly found what they needed for that specific pitch. So maybe we sent them a list of five things, 10 things, 20 things, whatever. And on song number three or instrumental number three, bingo, we like this a lot. They put it up against the picture. Oh, this is great. It really helps the scene. We love it. We're doing it. We're licensing that piece of music um, or we're, we're signing that piece of music and then pitching uh, to the, the show that needs it. Um, and now you've got all those other things that were on the playlist. And you're thinking, well, why don't they go ahead and listen to everything else? Because they found what they needed. I mean, let's, yeah, let's put this in a romantic context. Let's say that you fall in love with somebody and you want to marry that person and spend the rest of your life with that person. Uh, you seal the deal. I love you. I love you too. Everything is rosy. Do you go out looking for another one? Some people might. <laughs> you probably shouldn't. Eh, who am I to judge? Anyway, you get the idea. If you found what you're looking for, stick with it. 
forward motion. You don't go looking around at other stuff. Uh, and, and not to mention the time factor. They already have what they need. They don't want to spend time listening to other stuff. But maybe they found the one they loved as number 11 on that list or number 22 on that list, and they heard other stuff that they really liked that wasn't perfect for that pitch. They probably dragged that stuff over to a folder of other stuff I like, and it goes into like a probability folder. Um, so let's say that they've got a folder called uh, Great Greek Music. Drag it over, drag it over, drag it over. The one they picked is the one they pitch, but the other stuff was good enough and may be applicable for something in the future, so they save it. Now, do you know they saved it to that folder? No, you don't. Did they notify you? No, they didn't. Someday when they get another request for Greek music and they don't find anything in their catalog that they love or that works, they may go to that folder and they listen to the stuff in the folder and they end up picking three or four out of the folder, at that point they're going to reach out and say, hey, by the way, I got your music from Taxi two years ago. Uh, is this piece of music still available? Um, and if the answer is yes, great, everybody's happy. And if you say, no, I'm sorry, somebody else signed it, um, the next thing out of your mouth should be, but I can create another one that's very, very similar to that one, but won't infringe the copyright, which I happen to own anyway. Well, actually, maybe another library owns it. But you get the idea. Um, use that as an open door. They like what they heard from you, but hey, nothing better than saying, sorry, that one's taken. You snooze, you lose, dude. Um, but I can create another one. So now you've got two channels for your music. Um, number five, the company is anticipating the need for certain types of music. This happens quite a bit. Companies anticipating the need for certain types of music that they think will be needed for an up-and-coming season of a show that they regularly work with. The interesting thing is seasons used to start in the fall, right around back to school time, right? September, October. Nowadays, because, you know, seasons used to be half a year long, 26 weeks, 26 episodes, um, and then repeats for the summer. Streaming uh, and, and cable uh, killed that. So now it's not uncommon that a season might be 10 episodes or 11 or 12. Um, sometimes it's a limited series. It's five or six. So now there's like, there are these cycles that start throughout the year. So let's say that a production music library has a relationship. I'm going to pick what I'm binging right now as we speak, um, which is season two of the Umbrella Academy. It's a little strange, hard to get into. I really like season one, waiting for season two to light me up. But let's say that the music supervisor on Umbrella Academy, which can be found on Netflix, um, knew that they were going back into production. Let's see, we're in July of 2022 now. So let's say that the Music Soup knew, knew that they were going to start shooting new episodes in July of 2021. Therefore, that means at some point after that, they're going to go into post-production on each of these episodes. I think there are probably 10 in the season, and they are going to need music for those episodes. So the music supervisor is proactive and reaches out to the executive producer of the show and says, um, can you give me some basic food groups of what kind of music you might be looking for for this season? And I'm just making this stuff up here, pulling it out of thin air, but maybe the executive producer says, well, much like the first season, we're going to need some really awesome classic rock. Go back and look at what we used last year. 
Um, that'll inform you as to a general direction for what we're going to do this year. But also, we've got some scenes that have been shot in Europe in the 1970s. So maybe a band like Kraftwerk or other artists in that general genre. Um, and then one of the episodes, we go to Japan. So maybe some Japanese rock or Japanese club music. And so now the the supervisor reaches out to several libraries and says, okay guys, giving you an early heads up on this, these are some general food groups, categories, genres that I'm gonna need in the not too distant future. Can you start putting some playlists together so that I've got a stash of this stuff? At that point, libraries that don't have any Japanese club music, let's say, or 70s, what was Kraftwerk? It's not really prog rock, was it? Well, whatever genre craft work was. Um, so, so the libraries start reaching out to Taxi. They get nervous when they don't have the stuff and they want us to help them build their catalog. So they build it um, and then the stuff sits there. They, they pick what they like, which they're gonna pitch, but they don't do anything with it until they have a further conversation with the music supervisor and the supervisor says, all right, I'm ready to receive that stuff. I'm ready to start organizing my folders for the upcoming season. So go ahead and send it to me. So at that point, the libraries may actually pull the trigger and offer deals and sign the stuff. Maybe a little before that if they're on their, you know, on their game. Um, and maybe some of the libraries might say, might say, I've pitched this stuff to a show. Some won't, but it, it could be forever. It could be six months, seven months, eight months, 10 months, a year before you hear if anything has been used in the show. So again, it's a, it's a waiting game. It takes a lot of patience. Um, all right, next one, which I believe is number six, is a company is building a brand new Pay attention, folks. Brand new music library. Not just necessarily a new catalog, but maybe an entirely new library. Great example. Um, we recently uh, have been in touch with a company that's gonna start running listings with us. Very successful music library in the past, got sold to a bigger corporation. Um, I would venture to say that the owner of the company when the sale was made was put under probably like a five-year no-compete. The no-compete is over. Um, the principal people from that previously successful library are ready to start a new company. We met with them last week. Oh yeah, Taxi, we should use you guys. Well, yes, you should. Um, uh, there are several libraries, many libraries actually out there that built the vast majorities of their catalogs using Taxi members because they ran a bunch of Taxi listings. So they run a lot of listings because they're building a new library. They run a lot of listings over a period of months, maybe even a year or two. It takes a while to build a catalog when you're talking thousands of tracks. And then when they finally got enough material to roll the library out, they start making deal offers and signing the paperwork with the composers, artists, and songwriters whose material they loved. If they're smart, they did their due diligence and made offers along the way rather than waiting for a year or two and letting it all pile up. But that's if they were smart. Not everybody thinks so logically, right? Um, and even if they sign deals along the way, the library won't make it out to the marketplace where the music can actually be licensed for shows until they've got a substantial number of tracks or songs ready to roll out at once. They don't roll out, oh, we signed five 
this week. Now our catalog has five songs, and we sign 12 instrumentals next week. Now we've got five songs and 12 instrumentals. No, they wait until they've got thousands. They have to show that they have a substantial amount of music to choose from, not just a couple little categories, okay? So, <coughs> so usually, if I had to estimate, most libraries will want somewhere between two and 5,000 pieces of music before they roll out, okay? So even if you sign the deal, let's say in 2019, but they don't roll it out until 2022, three years is not unrealistic. Like two and a half years to find it, a half a year to go through all the um, due diligence and signing process, notifications, copyright registrations, um, uh, PRO registrations, all that stuff. Um, you'll be wondering why you haven't heard from that company we forward your music to. Even if you did sign a deal with the company back in 2019, but the catalog doesn't make it out to the clients until 2022, the music you have in that catalog might not get used for months, even years into the future once it is released. There's nothing that says, hey, guess what? The catalog rolled out in 2022. Therefore, your music's going to get licensed next week. What are the odds? Come on, you know better than that, right? It may never get licensed. And that's why you, oops, I need a prop for this. Forgot to bring my prop over. And that is why you write, submit, forget, and repeat. Write, submit, forget, and repeat. Write, submit, forget, repeat. Remember that tonight when you're going to sleep. You'll wake up so much smarter tomorrow morning. Um, okay, I want to tell you a little story uh, about Something we heard from a music library owner um, several months ago, actually, I think last spring, maybe, maybe even February, March of 2022. So a library owner, uh, a new library is being started. Uh, there was a little, this person's a video editor, pretty high-end video editor, works on a lot of uh, mostly reality shows, but other shows as well. And no, it's not Laurel Ostrander if you're into playing the guessing game, it's not her. But this editor has a little library, wanted to grow it into a more substantial library, and got commitments from several of the executive producers on the shows that he's editing. And he said, look, I've got a little library. I'd like to turn it into a larger library. And if I build it bigger and you like it, um, is it okay if I put my library in the bin so that all the editors working on the show can use the music that's in my library. And all the shows approved it. So he started running listings, quite a few listings with Taxi um, some time ago. And probably a year and a half, two years ago, and signed quite a few Taxi members to it. Um, and I don't know if he did or did not advise the people he signed that it is going to sit there for a while until we have amassed enough music that we're going to roll out the whole catalog. But once we do, the probability of your stuff getting used and getting used pretty frequently, because I'm working on these shows, pretty substantial. Can't make guarantees, but common sense would tell you that. Um, so we got an email from this library owner. Maybe it was a phone call some months ago. He was very upset. Uh, some taxi members who I think must have met each other possibly on the taxi forum. Um, they talked to each other and said, yeah, I can't believe I signed this deal with this company. Um, 
I haven't had a single placement yet. Well, the reason they hadn't had a single placement yet is because the entire catalog hadn't rolled out yet. So a couple of the members said, can I get my stuff back? Well, the catalog had gone to a couple places, but maybe hadn't been used yet on a season for a show. So the library owner had to reach out and say, I need to pull these tracks. Can you go into you know, the electronic bucket, the file, um, and remove these tracks? Nobody in the industry wants to do that. The people you know, at the production company don't want to get that phone call. The people who own the library don't want to ask the people at the production company to remove tracks. And then along comes a taxi member that had a pretty substantial number of tracks in the library. And as I understand it, I think I'm getting the story correct, the uh, taxi member had an offer from, a, from an exclusive library saying, do you have any music like this? He said, well, I do. I've got a bunch of it, but it's in a non-exclusive catalog. Well, if you want to take it out of there and put it in ours, we'll sign an exclusive deal with you. Um, I personally wouldn't have handled it the way the member did. The member was totally within his legal and I guess ethical and moral rights to do it this way. So what the member did was he reached out to the library that hadn't had any action because it wasn't really out in the wild yet. Um, maybe the library owner told people that it wasn't out being used yet. Maybe the taxi member didn't know this yet. In any case, the taxi member withdrew, I want to say like 21 or 51 tracks. It was a substantial number of tracks. This poor library owner had to reach out to all the different production companies where the music, you know, was already and had to uh, say, can you pull this stuff out? If I were that taxi member, frankly, I would have asked the question, is the library out there getting used yet? If not, when? I would want to know that information. And the other thing that the member could have done was simply told the second library, you know, I do have a bunch of that stuff. I don't know that I want to pull it out of that first library it's in, but I can create a bunch of new stuff that's very, very close um, to what you heard and liked. And they would have said yes to that. They would have said, great, make three or four, send them to us once we give you the thumbs up, then make 10 or 20 or 30 or 50, whatever the number is. So that way the member would have had music in both libraries and everybody would have been happy. Um, that's just the way I would have handled it. Maybe some other members might have handled it differently. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's why you want to write, submit, forget, and repeat because, you know, the stuff could go into a catalog and for whatever reason, it's not out there earning money yet. Uh, I also want to tell you a story. I'm going to read you an email. I think I mentioned this on a show the other day, recently, I think. Um, this is an actual email. I'm going to take a couple of names or words out of it, but this is word for word other than that what was in the email. And this is to Tom Stillwagon, our head of A&R at Taxi. Um, Hi, Tom. Just a note to say thank you for your hard work in sending me so many fantastic writers. I couldn't have done it without you or the Taxi team's help. As I said before, at least 90% of the writers involved in the creation of this catalog have come from Taxi Forwards. Let me say that one more time. As he as said before, at least 90% of the writers involved in the creation of this catalog have come from Taxi Forwards. The label has now launched in the USA and ready for media licensing with our partner XYZ Music. Um, all the best, and then he signed it. So. 
that company, to the best of my recollection, started list, running listings with Taxi probably a year and a half, two years before COVID. Um, so classic example of stuff being forwarded, a lot of it um, probably sat there. As a matter of fact, I think Tom was telling me that the owner of the library went back to stuff that we sent in 2019 and started reaching out to members. Hey, it's Bob from XYZ Library. Um, Want to see if this music's still available. So there are a million reasons why the music um, is forwarded to companies and you don't hear anything. It's just whatever their timeline is, whatever events are on their timeline, all those things dictate when the music is going to get used. And most of the time, they don't get all that motivated to start offering deals until they've got a little firmer timeline. So, um, and finally, the, the last reason why your music may have been forwarded by Taxi and you haven't heard anything, this is the obvious one, I think. It's entirely possible that we forward your music to a company and they listen to it and they just didn't think they could make any money with it. Uh, it actually may have been really good. Maybe they just plain didn't get excited about it because maybe they've already got a bunch of music like that in their catalog that's pretty similar and they didn't feel that they needed more that sounded so close. Or maybe they liked it but heard something else in the same batch that was similar but somehow 10% better, uh, more desirable, more saleable. So, you know, uh, it's not that you're terrible or you're incompetent or you suck or your music is bad. Oftentimes it's just, oh, this is pretty good. But we've got 10 pieces that are very close to this already. Thanks anyway. So that's that. Um, and now we are ready to move on to topic two. So as you might have guessed, I'm gonna this is going to require a little repetition from the aforementioned stuff. So as you might have guessed by now, some of the scenarios I've already laid out also affect why you might have signed a deal for a piece of music and you're disappointed that it's been months or even years and it's never been licensed. But I'd like to repeat what I think is the most likely reason you've been signed to a company and haven't seen any action yet. The company is building a brand new library. So they use taxis as their primary resource. They run a lot of listings over a period of months, maybe even a year or two. And then when they're ready to find, finally, they have enough material to roll the library out, they start making deal offers and signing the paperwork. If they're smart, they were doing that piecemeal along the way so they don't get hit with a deluge of it, you know, close to their rollout date. Um, and then even if they sign deals along the way, they won't, the library doesn't make it out to the marketplace in dribs and drabs. They want to send the whole thing out with a big, ta-da, brand new library. So usually my estimation is somewhere around two to 5,000 tracks before they roll it out. Um, 3,000 is a number I've heard mentioned a few times in my career, so maybe that's the sweet spot. I don't know. So even if you sign the deal, let's say in 2019, but they didn't roll the library out until 2022, you'll be wondering why you haven't heard from the company we forwarded your music to. I know it's frustrating. I know that you guys are sitting there going, what's up, Taxi? You asked for this kind of music. I sent it in. Your screener said, thumbs up. Great job. I forwarded your music. And in your mind's eye, in your mind's eye, which can be a good thing or a very dangerous thing, in your mind's eye, you're sitting there visualizing 
that somebody is sitting at a computer on the other end. The minute you get that forward notice from Taxi, you see that person sitting there going, oh boy, can't wait, get new music from Taxi. And they're gonna hear mine, they're gonna be so blown away, they're gonna be amazed, and I'm gonna get an email going, you are friggin' amazing. Do you have more of that? We want a lot of your music. And then you hear nothing but crickets. Frustrating, right? I can only imagine. Um, so it's not because your music isn't good. It's not because they didn't want it. It's because they put it into a folder of when we're ready to roll this thing out and it's time to start contacting people, we will. Maybe it's a little bit insensitive on their part because they're only thinking about their workflow and the way their business needs to operate. Maybe it's a little bit, I don't want to say narcissistic, but single-minded or, or I don't even remember the term for when you see things only from your perspective. And musicians, creative people, artists, I think do that a lot. I understand why. It's their life. It's their art. It's what they do. So all they can see is, will they love my art? Will they love my creation? I totally get that. But by the same token, that's your perspective. The company's perspective may be different. And it's that gap between the two that makes it so you hear nothing but crickets chirping. Um, so that's why you just got to keep writing, submitting, forgetting, and repeating. So the library, oh, there are other reasons, and here they come. The library that signed your music thought it was very licensable. So this is, remember, this is when your music is forwarded to a company and they've signed a deal and you go, Ugh, nothing. I am not getting any placements through this company. Maybe you're saying that a week later, two weeks later, a month later, six months later, a year later, might even be years later. Um, but so far, they haven't licensed your music. Maybe there was something else in that genre that their clients were drawn to first because it had a better title. That can matter, right? Good titles, we all know that good titles do matter. Maybe other tracks or songs just work better in more clients' scenes than yours did. Yours may be great music, but maybe somebody else's or several somebody else's music just work better in scenes. Or maybe your piece of music in a style is just not needed very often. But the day might eventually come when somebody needs a death metal song about butterflies. I can't imagine that day, but you know, sooner or later, somebody's making a movie and they need a death metal song about butterflies or a Christmas style Bollywood instrumental track. There was another one hard to find. And your patience will result in kitching. Um, so just understand that um, those niche styles aren't going to be needed as often as a dramedy hip-hop track or a song about a broken heart. They're just things that, even though your music is great, there's just, you know, here's a great example. Uh, my wife and I were looking at a, at a used car to buy, I don't know, a year ago maybe. Uh, and the car had really low mileage. It was at a very fair price. It was owned by an elderly couple that we knew. They're the kind of people that take excellent care of everything they own. The car looked like it was showroom new. The car was deep metallic mauve. I'm talking pukey purple. I wouldn't buy that car because of the color. My wife was really ticked off at me. I wouldn't buy the car because of that color. Um, 
Duh, it should have occurred to me that I could have put a wrap on the car for like 1500 bucks or whatever a wrap costs. I would have had a great car with low mileage, excellent maintenance records. Um, the body was like 98% perfect, and I blew it because I was hung up on the fact that it was kind of pukey metallic purple. Um, but you know what? A lot of people wouldn't want that car because of the color. It's just an odd color. Gosh, I hope our friends aren't watching this video. Uh, so yeah, you might have, you know, that Bollywood uh, Christmas track that is really, really good, but nobody needs it right now. So when you're frustrated and feeling a library, uh, is it getting any bites on some of your material? Um, take a deep breath and reflect on what I just said. I know you're proud of your awesome music and you, that you created and signed with that company. But it's not like music libraries send out a notice to dozens of their clients pro proclaiming, hey, guess what? We just signed an awesome new piece of Bollywood Christmas music. They don't do that. Um, why would they do that for something that has such a limited market or type of use? They don't even do that for music, generally speaking, that has a wider use. They may send out, you know, like... Um, Here's a full CD of dramedy hip-hop because that's a very hot category and they may want to announce that they just came out with a, you know, not a CD, but an album of that stuff. So that's conceivable that they could do that, but um, most of the time they're not in the business. Hey, I just signed this awesome piece of music by so-and-so. They just don't. It's not like the record side of the industry. Even the record side of the industry, they only send music out to people they know that need that kind of music. They're not generally going to send a piece of like pop R&B to a country artist. Um, they're not going to send, you know, a classic country song to um, Beyonce. She wouldn't cut it. She doesn't need it. Um, tickly throat. Okay, so let's see, where am I? Um, oh, I think I covered that. Anyway, so I hope that that chills you guys out and that you understand now why your music uh, is sometimes forwarded to these companies by taxi and you hear nothing but crickets. And then members call taxi and go, when should I hear? I mean, typically, I just saw something the other day on the forum where somebody said, uh, I got forwarded like on a Monday and by Tuesday I already had an email. It was my first submission, got forwarded one day, got an email the next day asking from a library asking to sign it. It happens. It's pretty rare, but it does happen. Um, more than likely, it's going to be a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. But for all the reasons I've mentioned today, it could very well be several months, many months, or even a couple of years until you hear back. Should you quit pitching that piece of music because there's the possibility it might get signed? Hell no. Pitch that music everywhere you possibly can. And if somebody, somebody eventually reaches out to you and says, I want that piece of music, I'm sorry. Somebody else got it before you but I can create more music that's very similar. Would you like me to do that? The answer is almost always gonna be yes. So now you've got music in two libraries. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> Tim Stamper says, I once got an offer be taxi before taxi notified me it had been forwarded. Yeah, that can happen too. Um, sometimes we hit the go button on send the music out to the company and maybe the person that's wrangling that task at that moment um, went to the men's room or went to lunch for an hour. Uh, could have been the ladies room. <laughs> Just saying, don't want any letters. Don't send a single letter. Um, but the person had something else they had to do. They got pulled away, answered a phone call, whatever and didn't click the go button on the notifications to the members for another five minutes or half an hour or an hour. So yeah, it's entirely possible that a, a company could reach out to you before you're even notified by taxi, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. It does happen though. Topic number three. Do you get ticked off when you see something like this in some of taxi's industry listings? Important note. This company offers an exclusive deal and has a strong preference for signing material from songwriters who have worked for libraries and licensing companies in the past and understand how standard deals work. If you don't have that experience and you don't know the drill on typical deals, they politely ask that you don't submit to this request. Ooh, cold. Or they might say this in a taxi listing, have us say this in taxi listing, Important note. Do I have important music? Um, nope, I don't. <laughs> important note. Uh, this library offers an exclusive deal and has a strong preference for signing material from songwriters who have worked for libraries and licensing companies in the past and understand how standard deals work. Gee, sounds remarkably similar. Uh, or this important note. This company is specifically asked that you only send unreleased songs that aren't already commercially available. If you've already released them on Spotify, Apple Music, etc., or they're already published or administered by CD Baby Pro, TuneCore, etc., please don't submit them. So our members get really upset um, when they see that, and I understand, I really do. Uh, they feel like they're being excluded. Hey, you know, it's kind of like, I'm sorry, you can't apply for this job unless you've got experience doing this job. Well, how am I ever gonna get experience if I can't get my foot in the door somewhere? So I do understand the frustration. Um, but again, uh, like I said earlier in the show, you need to see things from both perspectives, right? So um, from the library perspective, they want people who aren't going to you know what? I'm going to read this first. Here, here's some answers about this. I'll get to my laundry list of things that libraries typically don't want to hear from people they're signing. Um, but here was a post uh, from somebody whose screen name uh, or avatar on our form, the taxi form, is Earthlings. It was filed or posted November 12th of 2020. Um, and the, and the subject on it was, haven't worked with libraries, don't submit, parenthetically, absolute, question mark. Company offers an exclusive deal, is only interested in signing material from composers who've worked for libraries, licensing companies in the past, and understand how standard deals work. Um, so yeah, I just read that to you, and if you don't uh, know the drill and typical deals, they politely ask that you don't submit. So the, the person who posted this says, should I take worked for libraries and licensing companies in the past as an absolute? I don't have a forward yet, much less a deal, but 
I've been reading the forum since I joined around six months ago. Tuned into most of the Taxi Road Rally. Hold on, hold on. Tuned into most of the Taxi Road Rally. Good job on that. Ooh. Um, and I think I have a decent idea how the standard deals work. That's what these companies want to know. I would not try to negotiate, maybe ask a few questions to make sure I do understand the specifics. The only reason I know of that I would probably turn down a deal is if they want part of the ridership. It's extremely rare and kind of verboten. Um, but that's not a problem here. The listing specifically states the writer gets 100% of the writer's share. In other words, I really don't think I'd create any problems. So should I still honor their request or go ahead knowing uh, that what they really want is a problem-free deal? Wow, problem-free deal. Yes, and that's what they'll get with me. Thank you. And that was from a gentleman named Mike Shar. Good post, Mike. Um, so I, I made a note here in all bold, knowing that what they really want is a problem-free deal. Mike hit the nail directly on the head with that keen observation. Music libraries typically have thousands of tracks and hundreds if not thousands of composers to deal with on a creative and business level. 90% of their time is spent filling the requests they get from music supervisors every day. Pitching, that's how they make money. And when they make money, their writers and composers, meaning you, are making money as well. So imagine how little time they would have for getting music licensed if they had to answer dozens of emails with questions like these every day of the year. And here's some of the questions. Uh, I've gotten a lot of these uh, either from our forum or from friends of mine who own libraries and have sent me emails quoting some of these questions. They're like, why don't these people know this stuff? Um, can you explain what an exclusive deal is to me? Again, remember, you're a music library owner and you get an email from somebody that you was for, whose music was forwarded to you by taxi. And let's say the music library owner's name is Bob and you're responding to his deal offer. Hey, Ralph, I'm interested in signing uh, this song, you know, The Elves Are Dancing or instrumental music, The Elves Are Dancing. Um, great piece of music, uh, please get back to me and let me know if you're interested in doing a deal. Um, and then they get the contract. Ralph, the writer, gets the contract and writes back, can you explain what an exclusive deal is to me? So is that library owner supposed to write a 500-word document explaining how and why exclusive deals work? Or would an experienced composer who's been around the industry for a while already know because they've watched Taxi TV or they've looked at the forum or they've read one of the books that I'm going to give away today? There's so many places to get that information, but people will ask the library owner because it's like, wow, somebody in the industry is actually talking to me. And that's true. And I can understand their excitement. Can you explain what a non-exclusive deal is? There's another 500-word document. Can you <clears throat> explain to me why it's a problem if I check the box to have CD Baby or TuneCore or any entity like them rep represent my music for licensing three years ago? There's a long email. Why is it a problem if I don't have work for hire agreements from people who played and sang on my tracks? What is a PRO and why do I need one? Can you tell me which PRO is best and why? 
What does in perpetuity mean? I like that word, perpetuity. So what does it mean when you're signing something in perpetuity? Um, oh, we had a case where a library owner called me and somebody said, I don't want to sign an exclusive deal. And the library owner said, but you submitted to a taxi listing that clearly stated it was for an exclusive deal. Why did you submit? Taxi even put the word exclusive in all caps twice in the listing description. Why did you submit to a listing that offered an exclusive deal if you don't want to sign an exclusive deal? And the member responded, I thought when you heard my music, you'd be willing to sign me to a non-exclusive deal because it's so good. That's exactly the kind of person that libraries are trying to avoid. They don't want to deal with those who are uninitiated. I refrained from saying that person was something else. If I sign this, more questions. If I sign this deal, but another company offers me a better deal, how do I get out of the contract? How long after I sign with you will it take before I start to earn income? Naive question. How much money can I expect to make per year? Another naive question. The, library's own, the library owner's job isn't to educate you or inform you. They want to meet people and work with people that have already gone to the trouble of getting educated so that it makes it easy and frictionless for them to conduct business. How much money will I get when my music is placed in a TV show? Again, that's a, a starter, a beginner question. Pretty naive, frankly. Do I have to include my collaborators in the paperwork? Hell yes, you do. Um, can we have weekly meetings? Man, if you ask a library owner this question, they're going to go, <clears throat> excuse me, oh, shoot, my dog just got out of the yard. Got to go, and you'll never hear from me again. Can we have weekly meetings to discuss how your pitching of my music is going? No, they won't do that. They have dozens, hundreds, thousands of composers. Excuse me. Um, what makes you so special? I understand your desire to have that, but what makes you so special? Can you send me an updated list of all the shows that will be using my music? Do I need to be a performing artist to collect performance royalties? <laughs> What's the difference between the publisher's share and the writer's share? All, all these have come either from questions on the taxi forum or from emails that library owners have shared with me over the years. What is metadata? Educate yourself. Where do I buy an IPI number? How many companies a day will you typically be pitching my music to? Um, <laughs> this one's one of my favorites. What are luffs and how many do I need? Hold on. <laughs> no, this is not a rerun, but I have covered these topics on a, or a couple of these topics on other shows. Um, I just wanted to consolidate them and be more concise in my delivery. Um, what are stems and how can I find them? <laughs> is it going to take me a lot of time to create all those cutdowns? Do you really need to have all of them? Uh, I heard that more than often, more often than not, the chorus of a song gets used rather than the verse. Can I just send you a bunch of choruses? I think we actually had a listing requesting just like choruses one time. Um, why can't you use music with fades? Again, somebody who's experienced would know why that is. This is why Taxi spends so much time 
things like Taxi TV, the Road Rally coming up uh, early November, November 4, 5, and 6, I believe. Um, by the way, registration for the Road Rally is opening up on the 14th. We're going to send out an email. You will be able to click and register for the Road Rally. Um, Will you tell me when my queue gets used? Sometimes they can, sometimes the libraries don't even know. They've got stuff in a giant bucket that a bunch of editors are accessing working on a show, and they don't know till the queue sheets are filed and, and the quarterlies from the PROs hit their desk at the same time they hit yours. Um, the lead singer on some of my songs passed away. Do I still need to have a work for hire from him? So, the reason music libraries want to work with experienced composers and artists and songwriters isn't because they think that you'll be a better composer, artist, or songwriter necessarily. It's often really not about the music. I think there's kind of a, uh, a baseline assumption that the music is good or Taxi wouldn't have forwarded it. So, now they want to know, okay, who's got great music and who knows these things that I just asked in those questions because they don't really have the time. And it's not that they're mean people. They're generally really nice people. And frankly, there are some who will take the time to do a little bit of education, but they really just don't have the time. You want them out there making money for you. Um, as somebody who's already in their catalog, you don't want them spending time hand-holding other people because that's taking money out of your pocket. If they don't respond to a request quickly, another library beats them over the, the threshold of that doorway and gets the gig, um, you just lost out. Why? Because they're on a protracted phone call with somebody going, but why do you need to sign my stuff to a PRO? I don't get it. Um, so you need to know these basic answers. Um, it's basically because they don't have the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, uh, catching up with myself here. They want time. To, um, they need their time to do internal searches of their own catalogs in order to have the right stuff to pitch to the music supervisors. They need to build the right playlist. They need to research the shows they want to pitch to. They need to develop relationships with potential new clients and maintain the relationships they have with their existing clients. They also have to do the necessary due diligence with every new artist and composer they want to sign to make sure the music will actually clear. They don't want to get weekly emails from their composers and artists asking why their music hasn't been licensed yet. Experienced composers, experienced composers, songwriters, and artists know that once your music is in the catalog, it could take days, weeks, months, even years before it gets used, and that depends on what the music supervisors and the shows they work on need and when they need it. Experienced artists, songwriters, and composers know that the music licensing industry is a marathon and not a sprint. Very rarely do things happen quickly. You just want to write, submit, forget, and repeat, and get as much of your music in as many places as you can. Because um, a library, you know, you've heard me mention this a bunch of times before, um, you don't want to say, my publisher. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, because that publisher could hit a dry spell. So while they're hot right now and they're getting you a ton of placements, maybe their relationship with a certain supervisor goes away. Maybe the executive producer on a certain show moves to another show and now the supervisor 
goes with that EP and now that library's person on the inside over there doesn't need music from them. They're going to work with another library that they've had a long successful relationship and all of a sudden your music is sitting in that catalog just laying there like a lox. So the more libraries your music is in, the more consistent your income will be. Experienced artists and composers know that you shouldn't place all your bets on a few songs or instrumentals or on just one music library. They know the best thing you can do is to concentrate on making usable music that people in the marketplace actually need. And if you keep cranking out music that fills needs, over time it begins to compound and eventually you'll start getting more and more placements and begin to earn more and more income. In other words, experienced artists and composers and songwriters know that their expect expectations need to be realistic. And for those and many more reasons, music libraries prefer to work with people who understand the range and types of typical music library deals and know the realities of the industry and therefore have managed, um, have managed and realistic expectation. But here's where the problem arises. Uh, I need to review this. I forgot when I put this in there. Um, yeah, I've got this covered. Okay. Um, oh, what happens when a library runs into people? Uh, we've had libraries that have asked to take a pause on using Taxi because they've gotten too many inexperienced people that have asked beginner questions, naive questions up front. They get a little frustrated. So what do they do? They reach out to the people that they've already signed, the songwriters, artists, and composers they've already found through Taxi or other resources and they reach out to them and say, do you have this? Can you make some of that? So the more taxi members that frustrate the library owners, the more opportunities for all of our members go away. That is why I keep pushing this stuff on you guys. You really need to know it. Um, so it doesn't just hurt one person or one relationship. It hurts a lot of people. So as Taxi has become a huge resource for the industry and more of, more of our members are being forwarded, more and more of the companies we work with uh, are meeting a lot of new songwriters and artists and composers. But, excuse me, not all of our members watch Taxi TV or go to our convention, read the newsletter, or regularly participate in the Taxi Forum, which by all accounts is a tremendous resource for learning how the industry really operates. Um, All right, uh, there's something specific I'm looking for in here. Um, okay, here is a post from November of 2021. Piano Man LV, I'm guessing that means Las Vegas. Hi friends, I've been a member for 15 months and as yet have not achieved a forward. I noticed that more and more listings are requiring that only members with experience in the deal process submit their work. There's that topic again. This restriction would block me from the majority of opportunities that fit my abilities. Um, can someone please offer a blueprint for a typical deal process? Actual figures are not necessary, but general advice would be greatly appreciated. 
feel free to visit my profile page. I'd be so grateful to connect with seasoned members who are willing to share their experience. Thanks for reaching out to a serious newbie. This is from Whitney Phoenix. I'm mentioning Whitney's name because yay, Whitney, good for you. You know, a lot of people would have waited for a deal offer and then asked a library owner, can you please give me sort of a blueprint for a typical deal? And the library owner's going, you know, I could have reached out to somebody that I already work with. I wouldn't have to spend the time or the effort explaining this. But Whitney had the presence of mind to reach out on the taxi forum. And here is an answer that came in a mere four hours later from Telefunken. Hi, Whitney, I'll have a go at trying to help here but I expect that there will be other, better, more complete answers. I don't know. Telefunken's answer was pretty damn good. Um, please note this is just a skeleton view and certainly not any form of legal advice. Good protecting yourself, Telefunken. I suspect libraries are trying to avoid messy interactions. Hello. Yes, they are trying to avoid messy interactions and things that could reflect badly on them in the future. So it's understandable that they're cautious. They're also busy and move very quickly, although at times it seems like the opposite is true. So they really don't want to be kept waiting or having to explain everything. However, there's nothing wrong with asking about things that are not clear. And if you do ask about something that's not clear, it's best to ask about something in the contract. I don't really understand. In Clause 3, you say, oh, blah. What does blah mean? You know, that's okay. That's a precise, specific question, not a broad general one. Can you tell me what typical deals are in, you know, in the music library business? That's a small book. Um, so Telefunken goes on to say, it's probably easiest to consider an exclusive deal and the basics as I see them are as follows. When you submit a track via taxi or otherwise and it, help, uh, and it helps a lot if you're the sole originator, being sole creator. If not, then get work for hire agreements from all involved and any co-writer details sorted up front so you have the power and permission to control what happens with that track so there's no potential for surprises later. Uh, second point from Telephone if the library likes the track and they offer you a contract, then need, you need to ensure the contract works for you. So seek advice from experienced sync music composers or a music attorney on the content of the, of the contract. Um, next point, an exclusive deal is usually, but not always, in perpetuity, meaning forever. You may or may not be entitled to share some uh, to share in any sync fees, and typically you'll be entitled to half of any back end, 100% of the writer's share, whilst the library publisher takes the other half, which is 100% of the publisher's share. There's lots of detail in the contract, and you should understand all of it before signing along with any co-writers. If you're very lucky, you could be offered an upfront fee for composing more songs, but that's hard to come by uh, and unlikely from an initial taxi forward. Uh, take particular note of whether, how, and when upfront payment might be recouped. Um, you know what? There's a lot to this. It, <laughs> I'm laughing at Telefunken only because it's a great answer. It's really detailed. It's very long. I think it's incredibly thorough. It's, it's not a book, but there's a lot of great information in it. Um, anyway, Telefunken, good, good job. Um, I'm shocked that you had, uh, and that's from Graham in the UK, I'm, I'm shocked, Graham, that you had the patience to write all that, but really grateful that you did. And that's, you know, part of the taxi ethos, I think, is members always being generous and helping other members. So here's another post um, 
from Casey Hurwitz, who's a longtime member and a frequent poster on the forum. Hi, Whitney. Two main things. Number one, understand the business and what typical contracts are, which Telefunken laid out. And don't be, pardon my French here, don't be a dick. <laughs> I'm just quoting. Uh, you'd be surprised or not how many people need to learn number two. Acting like a professional is a huge part of it, and my guess is that wouldn't be a problem for you. So yeah, that's true. The gentleman that first asked this question probably is the type of person that a library owner wouldn't mind. Okay, so you haven't signed a deal yet. You're a reasonable person who's not asking a bunch of dopey questions, or I shouldn't say dopey, beginner questions. All questions are valid and good, but a beginner question. The fact that he reached out on the forum to get the education beforehand shows that he is the kind of person that libraries would typically want to deal with. Um, Casey signs off by saying, feel free to drop me a, a private message. Um, here's another comment on that same post. It's from Guitar Kit. Hi, wonderful experienced people. I've been with my publisher for a couple of years now. Um, and I bolded the word my publisher on that because I've got issues with that. We'll talk about that in a moment. Placements have gone a bit quiet. So I'd like to ask them about that. It could be COVID or maybe I suck. Oh, come on. Don't internalize it. Point it at yourself. Is it fair enough to ask them how the land is lying with them and clients and my submissions? I've heard people say, don't peeve off your publisher. They're too busy. However, I need to know what I'm working towards. By the way, Happy New Year. And this is from Kit Grennan. Um, and then we get a response from Melodia saying, I'm reopening the Book of Sync music after a long, and I mean long period of absence in the business. I keep on hearing to not bug publishers, sound libraries, because they're too busy. Well, aren't we all so busy? In my humble opinion, if your music, which you managed to create in your very busy life, lands in a catalog of a library, you have all the rights to ask them from time to time, how's the weather out there? I mean, at the end of the day, they have your music signed with mutual agreement. It depends on the common sense not to bombard them and stay polite and humble. That's true. I mean, I was getting worried there. Honestly, Melody, I was getting a little worried by the tone of the first half of what you wrote there. You might be the kind of person, if you feel entitled, you know, you've got my music in your catalog. Yeah, it's just the way you express that was not optimal. But um, then you pull it out and, and you don't come across badly when you say it all depends on common sense not to bombard them and stay polite and humble. So good job in that. Um, happy New Year and lots of success. That was signed by Chris. And then we get a response from none other than one of our definitely top 10, maybe even top five most experienced members, um, Matthew Vanderbow. And he says, hey, Kit, I'm gathering from the opening line of your post I have been with my publisher for. Matt picked up on exactly what I picked up on. He's about to tell you why. That you only have music with one publisher. If that's the case, your music and your income is going to be completely at the mercy of one entity. Not good. Many publishers slash libraries go through dry spells, um, have contracts that expire that don't renew, have health issues that prevent them from working. If all your eggs are in one basket, you're setting yourself up for one heck of a roller coaster ride. Try to expand your net, get your music with 10 or more publishers. 
That way, when one is in a drought, another might be in harvest mode. It's much easier to maintain a smooth ride in this unpredictable business if you've spread your bets around the proverbial table. Signed, Matt Vanderbilt. So there you go. Um, I think that I have covered all these things. If you've ever been frustrated by waiting, waiting to hear from a music company that your music was forwarded to, um, but then hearing crickets, or if you've ever signed a deal with a library and nothing but crickets on that, the music is just laying there like a locks. Or if you've ever been ticked off when you see a taxi listing, it says, please don't submit music unless you're an experienced composer who knows the drill. So hopefully that covered it all. Um, let's do a little Q&A, and at 20 minutes past the hour, we will give away a copy of Robin Frederick's see-through book, Shortcuts to Songwriting for Film and TV. I gotta say, the see-through cover. I, I may have stumbled on something really cool there. Um, hey, that's my song from Tracy and Vance Marino. Uh, incredibly good. Uh, it's not just about their journey working their way up in the, in the land of sync, but tons of great advice on many, many aspects of the industry. Definitely a keeper book. Um, writing production music for TV by Steve Barden, another one of our successful members that year after year after year gets great placements. Um, he's a true craftsperson, um, very, very brilliant man. Um, don't tell him I said so. <laughs> no, he's very, very smart. Um, and he actually just explains things so incredibly well. It's not like, hey, I'm looking down my nose at you because I've been successful. Nope, he's every man and does a fantastic job of explaining things. And then this book, which is a classic, it also has a sister book, which I don't have a copy of to give away. This one is Demystifying the Cube by Dean Crepain. He is also the author of Demystifying the Genre. So I am gonna give each of those four books away but only to people who live in the United States because shipping those babies outside of the country is oftentimes uh, more expensive than the actual book. Um, wow, Steve Memmel, still in the chat room. It says, fantastic, Michael, incredible information and a ton of human wisdom about how to play well with others, especially others who everybody else wants to play with. Thanks, Memmel. How are you, man? Hope you're good. Haven't seen you in like a year and a half. Um, all right, so got any, got any questions? I would be happy to answer them for you. Um, and then we will go into book giveaway mode. Look at that, 22 pages of notes. That's how I spend my Sundays, because I love you guys. I love this company. I love seeing people succeed. You know what, when I'm sitting there working, when I'd rather be outside in 100 degrees working on my yard, not, <laughs> or watching TV and eating food, probably. <laughs> All I have to think of is your smiling faces in the chat room, well, kind of smiling faces in the chat room, or at the road rally, and I think, you know, this is worth it. Um, Can't you ship an electronic gift card to the value of the book? We've done that before. That's a great suggestion. We've done that. And then people went uh, online and said, I took the taxi gift card, bought another book. <laughs> we want people to read these books. Uh, 
Okay, uh, this is from Chris, the only one. Uh, what is meant by contemporary instruments and briefs? I see here people using contemporary instruments, but they still get the comment that instruments aren't contemporary. Uh, we just had a great example of that recently. Um, I can't remember if we played the piece of music on Taxi TV or if it was a member that was complaining he or she didn't get a forward and our head screener listened to it. Um, and Tom, who's our head of A&R, excuse me, listened to it, then I listened to it. And it was immediately obvious that the instruments didn't sound contemporary. It's one of those things that apparently if you're the one creating the music, you can't hear it because you're not objective enough probably, um, but others can hear it very quickly. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but um, there were something else that I heard recently. I mean, it's, it, you know what, if you listen to, and I know people go, oh, I don't like what's on radio today. I get it. Um, but you know what, that's what's happening out in the marketplace. You might just actually learn something. You might hear that people don't do drum turnarounds like taka 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 like they used to. Now they do boom boom, or they don't have turnarounds at all. It's just a different style. Do drums sound like they did on records in the 70s or 80s or even the 90s? No, or even the 2000s, or as we'd like to call it, the double aughts. Um, sounds are just different. So somebody was complaining, I just went out and bought this very expensive new string library. Well, yes, you did, and congratulations on doing that. Um, definitely a move in the right direction. But the person didn't know how to effectively use the stuff that was in that string library. They had really well-recorded samples of violins going, you know, and I always make fun, but it's it sounds like somebody playing it with a 30-foot bow going one direction. Um, so you can take a brand new expensive sample library and make it sound bad or make it sound old because of the melodic choices you make, because you might take a sample that sounds fine kind of as it is and do stuff to it like, you know, adding a lot of reverb to it or EQing it in a certain way or adding a delay that sounds like something that somebody would have done back in the day. So it makes it sound not contemporary. The best thing you could probably do, because you got to judge these things on a one-to-one, -one, you know, case-by-case -case basis, is take the stuff that you want opinions on and post it in the peer-to-peer -peer section of the taxi forum. And that way you will get opinions, mostly from highly experienced members that have been around the block a lot. Um, it's a free resource that's one of the best resources on the planet. Also, uh, make a point of going to the forwards blog, the Taxi Forwards blog, and when you don't get forwarded for something, listen to the music that was forwarded on the forwards blog. Liz will post a link to it in a minute. Um, our most successful members all swear by the forwards blog, so there you go. Uh, I don't know if it's forwards.taxi.com, Liz. Or, or forums, yes, that one's correct. Forums.taxi.com, um, but the peer-to-peer -peer thing we need specifically. Um, also, um, the forwards blog, I can't, I can never remember that URL. Anyway, um, will Taxi listen to music uh, to see if it's mixed correctly so I know it'll be okay sounding? 
Um, yeah, you can submit the music to um, s send it in for um, a custom critique and say in, in your request, can you guys specifically, I'm interested in knowing how the mix is. Um, that will help us direct it to the right screener who's actually expert in that kind of thing. Um, there you go. There's a link to the forwards blog. Um, I suppose if you're being offered a contract, should you not just go with the flow with eyes wide open? Um, you know, honestly, the best thing you can do if you're being offered a contract, don't mention the company's name. But if you build relationships, which is pretty easy to do in our forum and meet other taxi members, you could private message some of them and say, so I was just offered a deal um, by this company. Do you know anybody that's worked with them? You will inevitably find other taxi members that have worked with the company. I mean, the vast people want to believe that entities that companies in the music industry are just waiting for some poor unsuspecting dumbo sucker walking down the street for them to take advantage of and steal something from and hurt them in some way couldn't be further from the truth you will find that the vast majority of people especially the ones taxi works with because we know these people we vet them we don't let them work with our members. We won't run listings for them unless we have thoroughly checked out their background. We know what their track record is. We know what kind of deal they're offering. We know something about the principal people running the company. We know how long they've been in business. We know which shows that they've gotten a lot of placements on. We know what kind of music they generally work with the most. So like, like I always say, only twice in Taxi's history, 30 year, almost 31 year history, only twice have we ever regretted working with a particular company? And that's because they told us the deal was one thing, which it was when we got into the relationship with, with them and then they changed it later. So yeah, you should, um, you should definitely ask your other members. Um, my favorite music attorney, um, Aaron Jacobson, would absolutely say, run it by an attorney. Well, you know, attorneys cost 500 bucks an hour, and that's out of reach for a lot of people, especially right now with money being tight. Thank you very much, gas and groceries. Um, so I'm not giving you the advice to not run things by an attorney, but chances are you can probably meet taxi members that have had that contract checked out by an attorney that have already spent the money and done the legwork for you, and you just need to ask them, have you found this company to be reputable? Um, is there are there any warning signs that would tell me not to sign with them? They are not out to rip you off for a 90-second piece of instrumental music. It's not going to be life-changing or enriching to them to steal a single piece or even five or ten or twenty pieces of instrumental music. It's just not. They are not in the business of risking their reputation by harming you or ripping you off. You may not always love them. You may not get any placements through that library for a myriad of reasons, many of which I mentioned a little bit ago, but they're not out to hurt you. Um, Marion Laird says she just had great advice on the peer-to-peer -peer thread. Um, uh, Craig Taylor wants to know how long to custom critique takes. Um, and Ken Mesford says they're really awesome and well worth the 20 bucks. What's the turnaround time? Uh, it depends. Um, 
as little as a few days, as long as two or three weeks. It really depends on us having the availability of the right screener to screen your material. Um, if you're sending in Bollywood Christmas music, it may take us a minute to find the right person. If you're sending in, you know, um, dramedy hip hop cues, we probably have three people that can cover that pretty quickly. All right, let's look for some other questions. Um, Martin Frog says, the Taxi Forum is your friend. Absolutely, forums with an S, dot taxi, dot com. And don't be a lurker. Oh, Liz is reminding book me. Reminder. Book reminder. Okay, got one minute left before I give away some books here. Um, so Andreas Schroeder says, I'll ask my question again. Thank you for repeating it. Sometimes I miss stuff because it you know, scrolls through kind of quickly. How about submitting to experienced composers only briefs if you don't have a track record, but did your due diligence on the logistics so you won't ask noob questions? Yes, Andreas, I give you papal dispensation. dispensation. <laughs> you sound like somebody, you've done your homework, you're not gonna ask beginner questions that you could have gotten answered elsewhere. Yes, go ahead and submit. It's not like they're going to, you know, offer you a deal and say, but I'll only sign you if you've had stuff signed by other libraries. They just wanna know that you understand the way of the world, you know, you understand the industry. Um, Jesse J. Peck, send, probably, I'm a little curious about your question, send an email to Liz, we'll figure it out. Um, Dan Weber says, great advice, ML, that's why I'm a member since 2013. Hey, Dan, how are you, buddy? Um, good to see you. I've been actually thinking the last few days, I've really been missing the Quarantini gang. I may do a Quarantini sometime in the next week or two just to get the band back together. I don't even have a topic. I just want to hang out with you guys. I really do miss them. Um, okay, here, one last question before I give these books away. I've seen so many listings asking for an organic sound quality, especially for piano. How would you define organic in a few words? Not electronic sounding. Sounds real. Sounds like a piano made out of wood with real strings being mic'd with real microphones. There are some great samples out there. Um, but again, you have to know how to use your samples well. You know, if you're um, playing stuff in an upper register and then tune it down, pitch it down to make it sound like it was in a lower register and it changes the timbre of the strings and the hammer so much that it doesn't really sound like that piano should sound, then you're gonna make it sound affected or inorganic. So just, you know, an acoustic guitar, organic, real drums, organic. Um, do you have to use real drums? No, they're great sounding drum programs. Just don't alter things so much that you make them sound electronic. We've had members get really upset with this and I understand why, but it was to no fault of our own, quite frankly, where they sent in stuff with real strings or real something on it, and the screener said, nope, this listing asked for organic, and you sent something in that was obviously electronic. And several of us in the company listened and went, yeah, that totally sounds electronic. Well, it's not, damn it. It was real whatever. 
Well, but we can't tell. We all have, you know, really experienced years around this place. So if we can't tell, the library or whomever won't be able to tell. You clearly did something in the process of taking that organic thing to make it sound not organic anymore. Um, do I ever screen? No. I used to screen years ago for many, many years. I don't screen anymore. Um, all right. Time to give away some books. So remember, these are the rules of the game is when I tell you, and don't start before I give you the, the go sign, okay? Um, you're going to type in plus one. And um, Liz, who's sitting in a room about 50 feet from me, is going to shut her eyes and tap her finger on her screen four times. Oh, Ken Mesford, you're cheating, dude. Um, and uh, Liz is going to pick the first four random people she's literally going to shut her eyes and go okay it's this person that person that person that person and we are going to send them these books shortcuts to songwriting for film and tv the one with the green cover sadly you don't get the see-through cover not yet folks wait 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 no plus ones yet i didn't say go um demystifying the cue these are all great books. Seriously, I have read each one of these books cover to cover. I highly recommend them all. Writing Production Music for TV by Steve Barden. No, not one at a time. Um, we don't have enough time to do that. Uh, so Liz is going to pick four names. And in the order I just held the books up is the order we will give them away. Mac Williams, Hold Your Horses. And then finally, Hey, That's My Song by Tracy and Vance Marino. All right. I don't have a drum roll, do I? I do not. All right. Well, we are going to start in five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Hit the plus ones. Liz, do good. And no, I'm not saying don't use plugins. I love plugins. I'm saying learn learn your shiz, use them well. Riney Bear, I haven't seen you in the room in a while. Where you been hiding? And remember, at this year's road rally, I am gonna do a private gathering for like 50 of us that were the day-to-day -day regulars on the quarantinis and you can't bring your spouse and you can't bring a couple of your friends it's going to be just the quarantini crowd we're going to be really snobby and keep everybody else out i i just can't wait to see all you guys face to face because we spent literally i don't know 100 150 hours together um on a pretty much daily basis during the quarantine and it was a lot of fun if i do say so <laughs> And in a moment here, Liz will announce the four winners. Um, Liz, oh, she's got them. All right. I scribbled them quick. So okay, well, you did scribble them quick. All right, for the Dean book, oh, I bent the cover on one. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's my copy. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Um, okay, the Dean Crepane book. The winner is Corey. Draven. Corey Draven, you have won Demystifying the Q. Send an email to liz at taxi.com 
and give her your mailing address and she will send you the book. Wouldn't hurt to send her your phone number as well. All right, um, for the Steve Barden book, which I bet the cover on my copy, oh, my autograph copy. I'm sorry, Steve. Um, this one went to Alan Hall. Congratulations, Alan Hall. Great book. All these are great books. Literally, if you don't have these books, there's something wrong with you. Um, next one is Robin Frederick's famous see-through book is going to none other than Nancy Colell. Why do I have a feeling Nancy may have this book already? Just saying. I don't know. Anyway, Nancy, if you do, let Liz know. Um, congratulations on that. And finally, Craig Taylor won a copy of Hey, That's My Song. Awesome book. You guys are going to love these books. Congratulations, one and all. Thank you, Liz. Great job picking the winners. Save that and give it to Liz after the big show today. All right, we've got about two and a half minutes left. I can do one more question. You know what? I'm not going to do any more questions because that'll turn into 30 questions. But thank you for um, sticking with me for this episode today. It was a lot of fun. And um, I would say I actually had a thought about what I was going to do next week, and now I can't remember. Anyway, I will be back next week with another brand new episode of Taxi TV. Thank you so much for watching. Um, <laughs> what if I was forwarded by Taxi, didn't renew my subscription? Uh, the song was forwarded more than a year ago. We don't reach out to companies and go, this person didn't renew. Take them off your possible list. We don't do that. Um, thank you all for coming today. I will see you next week for another awesome episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye-bye. Keith LeBrant, ladies and gentlemen.